0: Morning, church. It's strange being in front of a camera again after so many weeks being able to be face-to-face. This air is not fun, and uh, and yet it is what God has given to us. We're excited this week to be jumping back into the series that we began over a year ago, and we're going to continue through this series up until Advent and then do our Advent series and then Come back, there may be some interruptions here and there, but we're gonna be going back to our series, looking at the book of Acts and really seeing God's plan, not just for the church, our church, although that certainly is there, but also his plan to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we're gonna start this week by kind of reintroducing Acts to us, understanding what the book of Acts is about, and kind of setting the table for the weeks that are to come. So I'm gonna start by reading from Luke chapter 24 verses 44 to 53, and I'll explain a little bit or remind us a little bit of why Luke is relevant to Acts here in a second. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53, it reads this. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he departed from them, and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week is an important week in American history. I should say last week was an important week in a. American history and certainly current American history—it's a day that defines for many of this generation a lot about what's going on in America, and that is uh, that date that we say we will never forget, uh, September 11th, 2001. It was an important date for me and my family because uh, December or the 12th, uh, September 12th was. Are the beginning of our first year in full-time Christian ministry, and so this is the 19th year of our Christian ministry. And I can remember so clearly, we were in Saginaw, Michigan, and back then, if you uh, you couldn't be on the phone at the same time as the internet, we had dial-up internet, and I was online looking at football stuff, and uh, and I was online for a while. And finally got off uh, the internet and the phone lines were opened up again and we just started getting phone call after phone call telling us what was happening. And we raced over to our friend's house because at that time we didn't have any TV and, and we watched what happened at 9-11. We watched as the planes crashed into the towers. And at that time, the feeling that we felt was just, is this the end of the world? Um, we didn't know what was going to happen next. We didn't know if there was just going to be two planes, then we heard about a third and a fourth plane, the plane that crashed in the Pentagon, the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. And it seemed like maybe the whole country was under attack at the same time. They say that that event of September 11th defined the millennial generation because uh, that was the event that really changed a lot of things about the way Americans view the world, how they view their own security. We've seen a lot of the things that are going on in our security state uh, came because of that. Even what happened in the world in world events, wars were launched and, and a lot of things were different be kind of because of 9-11. I'm certainly moving to watch the videos again of people falling out of buildings and of brave firefighters and paramedics and police officers rushing in to the towers, knowing that they would probably be killed as they rushed into this and still responding with bravery. And yet all over there was a hashtag recently and this, this year that said, never forget. And one of my kids asked me a question, what, you know, what does that mean? Why do we never forget? Why is this day so important? And it was a good question, I thought. Why is it that we look at historical events and certainly specific historical events and we say to ourselves, these are days we don't ever want to forget about. Is it that we don't want to forget the tragedy? I mean, certainly for some families, especially those who lost loved ones, that would be that. They don't want to forget that those people they loved. But I think for us, as we say something like, never forget about this day, we, we want to remember the sacrifice of people laying down their lives. We want to remember the, the, the fragility of freedom. We want to remember um, how quickly things can change in our lives. And so there's a lot of reasons why we might say to something, never forget. But it's also important as we look back on events like this, but also other historical events. This is why it's important for Christians to know history in general and for all people to know histories. Because it, it doesn't just remind us of certain things that we value and cherish, although that's really important. But also it tells us something about where we came from, how we got to the place we are now. As we think back and look back at history, we see sometimes encouraging things like, hey, this is bad, but it's been worse. And somehow people then got through it. Or or maybe it's it's reminders like, you know, we see what happened in Nazi Germany and we look at what's going on in, in Xinjiang, China with the Uyghur people or other atrocities and we don't want to forget. We want to remember that these things happen. They happen right under the noses of ordinary people and we don't want them to happen again. It's important to remember where we came from so that we can know where we're going. It gives us keys and accesses into our own life. Sometimes we're dealing with things even in our own families and we don't know why we're struggling in this way or why we respond to our children in such a fashion. We look back at our past and realize, oh, there's all this history and baggage that shape the way that we tend to respond today. It's important. And the book of Acts is a book of history. And For some that might seem really boring like why would we look back? There's so much to look forward to But it's important for us to pause and stop and look back and and to look at our history Especially the history of the church for some key reasons It gives us a key to our present As we've talked about understanding the past gives us an ability to understand better the situation that we're in today It gives us a confidence in God's word as we see the promises that were made in the past. This is one of the things as I talk to my own children about our faith that keeps encouraging me and I hope encourages them is that we have a faith that had promises that were made and promises that were kept that we can trace historically. That's something that no other religion can say. We can see that we have confidence in God's word because God keeps his promises. We have a history that gives us confidence that God uses flawed people. I'm sitting here today and feel very, very flawed. And I'm sure at times you do too. And the events that are going on around us in our environment don't help that a whole lot. We feel flawed. And yet we look at the pages of scripture, especially in the story of Acts, and we see God using extremely flawed people, people with really bad and checkered pasts that God redeems and sanctifies and uses in a powerful way going forward. We also see in our history that that we are a part of something bigger than just today. I don't know about you, but I really need that today. I need to see that I'm part of something bigger that God's doing, that, that today with all the stuff that's going on in our air and the fires around California and the election stuff that's happening and the riots and all the things that are going on in America and around the world, that this isn't all there is, that God is moving and active in the world and in my life to accomplish something bigger so we look at history and especially inspired history in the Word of God like in the book of Acts and we see all of these things so this is exactly what Luke is setting out to write in the book of Acts so we remember our previous times we've kind of gone over this that that Luke is is continuing a story that he started in the Gospel according to Luke. Now Luke wasn't one of the twelve apostles. Uh, he probably wasn't present when Jesus was doing his active ministry. Um, but he began, he says in Luke, to compile a narrative of the things that were accomplished among us by Jesus Christ. In fact, that's exactly the words he uses in Luke chapter one. Now I'll, I'll just read it for you, and then keep your foot, keep your finger in the book of Acts. He says, "Inasmuch." is I've undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So Luke is saying, I didn't see this with my eyes, but I'm talking to all of the disciples of Jesus, the 12 and also the many hundreds of others that were following Jesus, and I listened to the words that they told me, and I, I, I heard them describe the things that they had seen with their eyes, and they were delivered to us as ministers, and I compiled them into this narrative. He says, It seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So in the book of Luke, he compiles these narratives and writes the gospel by inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us about the ministry of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, we see the continuation of that, as he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the first book, the Gospel according to Luke O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I love that because it says what he began to do and to teach, implying that he's continuing to do things through his people, the church, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, until the day he was taken up. is his first audience for this man, Theophilus. We don't know exactly who this Theophilus is. Um, We know that his his name means loved of God. Uh, We also uh, know that, or can surmise but potentially because of the excellent Theophilus, that maybe Theophilus was a political figure, uh, someone with some standing in the government who had come to faith in Christ and now Luke is explaining to him all that God had been doing, both through the ministry of Jesus Christ and then the continuing ministry of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. How the gospel went from Jerusalem and this tiny little band of men and women following Jesus to this world religion. It's important for us to think about that. I can remember having been going to Israel and we had this really great uh, Israeli friend. His name is Jerome and Jerome is is was born and raised in Israel. Uh, his family is all we all Jewish, um, even though they weren't like super devout Jews in Eastern Europe. Amazing, amazing stories of what of what happened in their lives as they came from from Nazi occupation to to Israel. But I can remember going and seeing all the sites in Israel and having these conversations with Jerome. And one one day he he says to me. Well, you know the Bible can't be trusted because um, there is no archaeological evidence for King David. And, um, and that's kind of interesting, but there, there are very few inscriptions that say this is of David, or especially from David's time period. Um, and he goes on to say the, there's a lot of stuff about Solomon, but very little about King David. And, and we stop for a second, and I had a thought come to my mind and said, where do you think Solomon came from? Uh, and he goes, <laughs> I guess you have a good point. Solomon had a dad. And so if Solomon is saying, I'm the son of David, then that implies probably that David is true. And, and sometimes we look at ourselves and we look around the world and we see billions of Christians and we look at our church and we say, where do we come from? Um, how do we know that this is true? And can we trust the narrative of Luke? And Luke is saying to Theophilus, look at all that you're seeing happen around you and you're, the faith has been delivered to you. I want to tell you where it came from. It started somewhere and it started with the ministry of Jesus, his death and his resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples who are going to spread it around the world. Another thing that's interesting about the book of Luke, I'm sorry, Luke and Acts, um, but especially the book of Acts is that. Uh, many scholars who study uh, ancient histories say that Luke is a great example of, 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 of ancient history. It's parks a lot. However, there's something different with the book of Acts in that Acts doesn't have just one main character. Some people say, well maybe Peter's the main character. And certainly for a beginning at the beginning of the book of Acts, Peter's prominent. and then later it seems like Paul's prominent, but there's one character throughout the book of Acts that I think is important we pay attention to and that is that God himself is the main character in the story of Acts. Luke is recording for us the mighty works of God and for his people so I want to remind us of some things that I want us to pay attention to in the coming months as we dive back into the book of Luke that God is doing. First of all we want to see throughout the story of Acts that God keeps his promises. Luke ends with God's people waiting, as we read. And then Acts begins with the waiting being fulfilled and waiting being rewarded. As they're waiting and anticipating and longing and hoping that they didn't just imagine something. And then the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them and empowers them for gospel ministry. This is not exactly what you would expect if this were to happen to us. Now imagine something comes and, and as I'm preaching to you, someone grabs me and takes me away and kills me. And they start persecuting Pastor Bob and Ricky. And, and pretty soon we're all kind of scattered all over the place. you think, like, well, that was the end of Redeemer Church, right? That's kind of the way we expect the narrative of history to go like that. Mm-hmm. But here we see in the book of Acts, God does something very unlikely. He, Jesus Christ is killed. He is resurrected. He's ascended to the, to, to the Father but then as the people are waiting and there's still this pressure in the city, there's still all this tension, and then God does something amazing and he gives them boldness and power. And we see the church, instead of shrinking, you think, take Jesus away, everything's going to fall apart. No, take Jesus away, give them the Holy Spirit, and everything goes uh, blows up in a very good way. The gospel begins to spread like crazy. We see... God keeping his promises to those believers. We also see God keeping his promises in the fulfillment of prophecy. And so as we go through the book of Acts, we need to look at all these prophecies that are being promised. And it's important when we read Peter's sermons and Stephen's sermons and Paul's sermons later on, they're full of Old Testament uh, biblical theology as they're laying out over and over and over again, the whole storyline of the Bible pointing to the fact that all of the Bible points to Jesus. And this is so important. Prophecies are being fulfilled. In fact, instead of unhitching his gospel from the Old Testament, as some modern-day preachers have said, the book of Acts with Luke shows over and over again how the apostles had totally hitched the gospel to the Old Testament. The prophecy being fulfilled. This is that. That's what Psalms is saying. This is that which was promised to you. The Psalms, the patriarchs, the prophets, they're shown throughout the book as finding their fulfillment in Jesus. Secondly, not only do we want to watch God keep his promises. but We want to remind ourselves that God's people We want to watch God's people and how they respond to these problems by radically loving and serving This is so helpful for us today. How do we live and act in this world in which? It feels almost criminal to be Christian sometimes we feel like that's right around the corner We see all these problems that we can turn into ourselves but in acts we see over and over again Christian people giving themselves to devotion. Look at Acts 2.42, for instance. Devotion, hospitality, awe, which is worship and miracles and generosity and joy. And we see how that explodes into the population and thousands are saved. I don't know where we are in our historical moment, but it seems to me we're in a kind of moment that God could really light a fire um, in, in the hearts of people. There's, there's a lot of questions and a lot of anger and a lot of confusion. We see God's people praying over and over again when confronted with tough things. They drop to their knees and they pray. We see people taking gospel risks. We see risky hospitality opening up their home to people that could be dangerous to them. We see people giving generously in a a tough time when there's famine and there's uprisings. People are giving funds to accomplish ministry. We see God doing amazing things and saving unlikely people like Saul. We see God's people radically loving and serving. Third, we want to watch God turning tragedy into triumph. I was reminded of this. We talk about 2020 as being a horrible year, and I'm sitting here today. Some of you know I got into some poison oak this week. We had a great vacation last week. We got away with some friends that are longtime friends of ours uh, from, from Michigan and uh we just had a wonderful time well the last day uh, we we were driving down to Bixby Beach and stopped by this beach and made a little hike and on the way back, I took a wrong turn I got stuck in some bushes and I got terrible poison oak i'm I almost asked Bob to preach for me this morning. it's all down my arms, my legs are covered with it, and uh it, i'm I'm extremely miserable, although I, at this moment I feel like God's giving me incredible grace um, and I just thought. What a terrible year. Like, I can't go outside because this f- so smoke-filled. I get poison oak all over my body. You know, others others in our church are struggling with a lot of things, financial things or personal things. And we, we look at the election cycle. We look at the riots. We look at the the, 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 um, the conflicts uh, with the police that we see all over the place. We look at their economy. And we look at this COVID thing that just won't go away. And we just think this is the worst year. But for some, 2020 has been the best possible year. I've got two friends that are in Pennsylvania that both had babies this week. And it's just like, and I saw those pictures, I thought, for some people, this is the best of all years. This is the year they're going to say this was the best year. Or people who are getting married in 2020 or something else that's happening that you look back and go, wow, this was a great year. And I thought, It's interesting how one person's worst year could also be someone else's very best year. And this is just like God, right? We see, for one example, how God takes the death of Stephen in Acts chapter seven. I would say if you're Stephen's family, or if you're Stephen's friends, or if you're in Stephen's church, it's the worst possible year. You watch someone who you love and respect get stoned with rocks in front of the temple as he's preaching the gospel. It's the worst year how God takes that and then from Acts 7 we see Acts 13 the believers being scattered again a bad year and then from Acts 13 or I'm sorry Acts 11 then we see Acts 13 where God takes those believers who are scattered and empowers them and sends them to the ends of the earth and great amazing miraculous things happen from that tragedy and I think we need to be reminded of that we don't know the full story So what's going on in our lives, what's going on in the life of Redeemer Church, there's some things that feel like tragedy. I wish we were meeting today together and we're not. Um, And yet God has a plan in it and we need to trust in that plan. A bad year for one's a great year for another. God turns tragedy into triumph. Fourth, we want to see and watch as God builds his global family. I love living in the Bay Area because I can see firsthand the diversity of what heaven's going to be like with some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. As I imagine you, I'm not actually looking at you even though by the power of technology maybe it feels like I am Um, I'm imagining all the places that the people of our church have come from um, places like Lebanon and Brazil and uh, ancestry from Korea and ancestry from you know, from Peru and ancestry from Mexico and the Philippines and ancestry from Germany and England and Scandinavia and Sweden and, and all these places, Indonesia and China, all come together by God's providence. And that takes place because God is building his global family. And we have to be a part of that. We see that in Acts 2 at Pentecost where powers come not just so they can do miracles, but the gospel would go out to the ends of the earth like it's promised. We see it going and addressing racial and social tensions in Acts 6. In Acts 8, we see the gospel spread from Philip uh, to Samaria, uh, a place that was enemies of God's people traditionally, and Ethiopia, which is almost the ends of the earth in the imagination of the Jewish people of that time. We see Cornelius, this this Roman centurion coming to radical faith in Christ. We see the mission to the Gentiles started by Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13. We see Paul in Athens, Greece, the seat of learning, the Silicon Valley of their day. Um, And in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul preaching powerfully the gospel to the Athenians. But then we see eventually Paul getting to Rome, the seat of power, the Washington DC of that time period, preaching the gospel. And how... In Acts 28, 28 to 31, Luke recorded these words. Therefore, let it be known, these were Paul's words, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is our heart, right? That the promise that was made that, Preach it to the Gentiles, they'll listen, is still coming true in our day, and that we want to see the gospel proclaimed to those who have not yet heard. And we live in a place of people who have not yet heard the gospel. Your neighbors have not yet heard the gospel, many, many of them. And every year, more and more are moving to the Bay Area who've never heard the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We're going to watch in the book of Acts how God's servants are bold and they proclaim the gospel, even though it isn't always safe. And we're going to have to figure out in our age how to do the same thing. We also want to watch God's church turn the world upside down. I love what this was said about the Christians in Acts 17, 6 and 7. Says, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, who was a believer, and some of the other brothers before the city authorities, and shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason, received, was, has, and Jason has received them. and They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And so as American Christians, we look to... President Trump, and whether that's President Trump or President Biden in the future, and we look at, to, to Governor uh, Newsom, and we look to our other officials, and we say, there is another king. It's Jesus. And while we submit to our authorities and see them as, as ordained by God, we, we bow our knee to one king, and that is Jesus. And this power of the gospel turns the world upside down, and even our little church can have a massive impact in the, in the world. And then lastly, just as we see that Jesus' ministry was not ended at his death, it wasn't ended at his resurrection, and it wasn't even ended at, at his assumption into heaven, the ministry of Jesus continued on. And that's what I think Luke is trying to explain to us by connecting the gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, is that the ministry of Jesus is connected and there's a stream that flows from the ministry of Jesus to the life and ministry of you and me today. In the book of Acts, there is no like clear-cut conclusion. It kind of ends with, with Paul desiring to do even more ministry and it doesn't really show us how it all ends. We know eventually that Paul really never left Rome. In fact, he was executed there. But the ministry of Paul kept spreading. The ministry of Jesus kept spreading. The ministry of the Holy Spirit keeps spreading. And it's still alive today. And I want to say to us, as we go into the book of Acts, and Pastor Bob takes it next week, that we can rely on the same power from the same Holy Spirit. That we can share boldly. Because Jesus still saves. The Gentiles will still hear and believe. We can live out what the church called us to be in our communities, no matter whether there's smoke or whether there's COVID or whether there's a collapsing economy or a housing shortage, we can still live out what God has called us to do. And we can still be his witnesses to the ends of the earth.